Good evening. <laughs> it's good to be with you again this evening. We have been with Jesus in the wilderness. We have been with Jesus at a wedding. That's right. That's the right order. I got confused on my own order. <laughs> and where were we with Jesus last night? Does anyone remember? On the mountain. That's right. And today we are with Jesus at a picnic. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be spending our time, and I'm not going to read the whole text to you. We're going to go through it together, but if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 6, I want to start with another question this evening. We've done the why, and we've done the question of who are we meant to be, and tonight it is what stories do your hands tell? What stories do your hands tell? Hands are a part of our lives. They represent strength, they can sometimes represent hurt. There's history in our hands, there's love in our hands. When I look at my oldest son's thumb, I'm reminded of my father's thumb. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because we carry on things, our hands remind us of others. And when I look at my hands, I can tell you something very important just by pointing out two tiny little scars that you probably wouldn't notice, and right now are really hard to notice because it's winter and I'm pasty. But in the summertime, you can see these little dots a little bit better. I'm the mother of two sons. And when I was a teenager and a young adult, my doctors said to me that I might not be able to have children. They said I might actually get pregnant, but that I would probably have a late-term miscarriage every single time because of the way that I formed in my mother's womb. There was an abnormality in my own body from birth. But did you hear what I said? I am the mother of two sons. My body didn't exactly cooperate, and I'm thinking of poor Julia over here. I never arrived at this stage of pregnancy because my son Andrew, who's 21, was born on the day that my water broke two months early. I had a C-section that day, and there he was, rushed to the hospital, an IV put into my hand right here where one of those little dots are, and a few hours later, Drew entered the world. Thank the Lord, he weighed over five pounds and he only had to be in the neonatal intensive care unit for five days, or seven days, sorry. I'm getting my boys mixed up. Now you're, you got a little, a little hint that the other one wasn't so great either. But this little dot on this vein reminds me of how God provided for me. At that time, my husband Dustin and I were seminary students at Nazarene Theological Seminary and we had one car and my husband was at work, and I was at home. Thankfully, my parents were in town. My dad had been there for the general board of the Church of the Nazarene meetings, and they decided to stay one extra day to hang out with us Kansas City kids. And we'd had a baby shower while they were there that my mom could be at. And so my parents were with me. We'd been messing around, having a lovely late start to our morning while my poor husband had gone to work. And my mom and I were goofing off and playing the piano, and I decided to go get ready for the day when my water broke. Thank the Lord that my mom and dad were there because I would have been left alone at a house with no vehicle and no one anywhere to help me get to where I needed to go. My mom called a nurse that was a friend of ours and she told us what to do while we waited. Dustin didn't believe us. He thought we were just trying to get him to skip work. So that gives you an idea of my husband's personality and my personality. <laughs> That's what he thought we were doing. 
But he drove home and there we went and we weren't alone and the doctors took care of me and the doctors took care of my baby and this little dot on my hand reminds me of the faithfulness of God. My hands tell a story. And then there's another dot next to it. Ethan, who is 17, tried to enter the world four months early, which is disastrous. I was at my parents' house with my husband and my almost four-year-old son, and we were visiting for Christmas from California where we were pastoring a church. And I wasn't feeling so good. And I had asked my doctor ahead of time if I should be traveling, and he said to me, you're just a weird, complainy woman, you'll be fine. And I said, all right, I guess I'm a weird complaining woman and I'll be fine. But guess what? 24 hours after we arrived in Washington State to visit my parents, I went into active labor at four months early. Had to be hospitalized there. Was in the hospital for an entire month and then on strict bed rest at my parents' house for another month. And I learned how to have compassion for women on bed rest. It is no joke. I was allowed to walk up the stairs one time a day to get upstairs and down the stairs one time a day to get to my bed. I could take a shower if I felt all right, but other than that, I needed to stay flat down all day long. Active labor. Any of you that have those horror stories, I was in labor for 36 hours. I was in labor for two whole months. Could have had my baby any day. But Ethan, thankfully, remained inside, and so he was only two months early, like his older brother before him, but another IV, and another C-section, and another reminder of how God was with us, helping us. If we had been in California where we lived, because my situation was so serious, I would have had to go to San Francisco, which was two hours from where we lived. I wouldn't have been anywhere near any of my family, but we were at my mom and dad's house, and they were able to take care of us, and our church that we were pastoring took took good care of us too. A retired minister in the congregation took over. They gave us a leave of absence so Dustin could be with me. And our baby Ethan was born healthy. Another dot on my hand. My hands tell a story. I wonder what story your hands might tell. When Ethan was a toddler, he was a whirlwind of energy and creativity. He would get every single thing possible out in any room that he found himself in. Absolute chaos as he would move from one toy to another toy, one drawer to another drawer, one cubby to another cubby. And this meant, as you can imagine, there was a lot of cleaning up that needed to be done every single day. And Ethan, who was very smart, would say things like, what about my tiny little hands when it came time to clean up? As if those tiny little hands hadn't been the thing that had made this giant mess in the first place. But with that sweet look on his face, he would say he probably couldn't do it. And we would tell him, oh, your tiny little hands made this mess. Your tiny little hands can pick this up. And we would, of course, work together to clean up. But our hands tell different kinds of stories, don't they? And today, as we come to this passage of scripture, for me, it's not about the scars on my hand, but it's my Ethan and the tiny little hands that I think of when I look at John chapter six. This is a tiny little hands kind of story. John chapter six, verses one through five say this, after this, Jesus went across the Galilee Sea 
a large crowd followed him because they'd seen the miraculous signs he had done among the sick. And Jesus went up on a mountain and sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for the Passover, the Jewish festival. Jesus looked up and he saw the large crowd coming toward him. And he asked Philip, where will we buy food to feed these people? Jesus said this to test him. I often wish, like I told you last night, that the Bible had more details than it sometimes has. Did Philip furrow his brow and pause and look at the crowd and then look back at Jesus? How? Did the other disciples overhear this and throw up their hands? Did someone chuckle and then say in a whisper, is he being serious? It's a crowd of 5,000 people. This is an impossible task. And in verse seven, Philip replies, more than half a year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to have even a little bit. Can you picture it? Jesus, have you seen our tiny little hands? Have you seen our tiny little pocketbooks? It's a ridiculous request, really. What could we do for them? We're too far away. We don't have enough money and one meal won't fix anything even if we could scrabble it together because they're poor. Remember we talked about this on the first day, living day to day, hungry all the time and depressed. Look at our tiny little hands, Jesus. And we feel that, don't we? In the face of all the trouble in the world around us, the thought of figuring out how we can help can be a little bit overwhelming. The war in Ukraine has gone on now for more than a year. There are threats of famine in Africa and Asia. There are shootings in all of our communities across our country and places where it should be safe to go. There is the tragedy of the earthquake in Syria and Turkey and we know that disasters just continue to come. We just wonder where it will be or where it will happen this time. Unprecedented snow is happening on the west coast and people are experiencing flooding and mudslides. There's inflation and there's global unrest and there's fear and there's all of it. And we're still dealing with the reality of COVID. It's not gone yet. Big problems, big needs. And what can our tiny little hands do? But it's not just the big stuff out there, it's also the big stuff in here, isn't it? Some of you are sick and you don't know what you're gonna do to pay your bills. Some of you are living with chronic pain and you have fear that you're going to continue to hurt this way. Some of you have broken relationships. Why is my marriage like this? Why did it end? Why don't my kids talk to me anymore? And some of you have shattered dreams. I didn't get married. I didn't have kids. I always wanted to do this. I didn't have the career I imagined. I didn't dot, dot, dot. Our tiny little hands. But it's not just the big stuff out there or the big stuff in here, the me stuff. It's the us stuff too. I'm sure your church is asking like every church I visit, what is God's plan for us now in this season, in this chapter after COVID? What is it that God wants to do? What does it mean for us to pass the baton to this rising generation? And how do we get the rising generation to be a part of our church? Church looks different than it did 
a few years ago. And church looks different than it did when I was a teenager and a child and when you were a teenager and a child and, and we wonder what is happening with us. How can we honor Christ? How can we live our faith faithfully? What do we do with dwindling numbers in our churches and struggling finances? How do we share the good news with a society that's hostile to us sometimes and doesn't trust us and, and for good reasons sometimes doesn't trust us? Not maybe us, but us as Christians as a whole. It's hard times. And we have to ask, what do we do with our tiny little hands? It feels like too much. And the scripture helps us here. Because in the midst of all of these sorts of problems that we are facing, there's a problem before the disciples and Andrew shows up in verses eight and nine. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said, a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish. And I love his honest question, but what good is that for a crowd like this? I don't know if Andrew right here is demonstrating great faith. Is he being sarcastic? Is he just being realistic? And I don't really think it matters what attitude he had as he brings this small lunch to Jesus. That's not the important part of the story. What's important is what he actually did. We don't know his motives. We don't know his thought process. We don't know his emotions or his tone of voice. But what we do know is that he brought what he had to Jesus. And although we might have tiny little hands and tiny little pocketbooks, a tiny little lunch, tiny little resources, or even sometimes tiny little hope, when we put what we have in the hands of Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. Look at verses 10 through 13. Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them, and then Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there, and he did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. And when they had had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that had been left over by those who had eaten. Can you imagine being the child with that lunch? I don't know if the child came and offered it to Andrew. I don't know if Andrew knew him and went to seek it out. How this all came about, we don't know. But think for a moment how you would have felt that your five loaves and two fish had done all of that. A child was considered insignificant in the time of Jesus. The lunch is definitely insignificant in the face of the crowd. But in the kingdom of God, everything is different. What looks too small isn't too small in the hands of Jesus. People who don't appear to matter in the standards of the world matter in the kingdom of God. Problems that seem too great are never insurmountable in the hands of Jesus. Did you hear me? In the kingdom of God, everything is different. What looks too small is never too small in Jesus' hands. People that don't matter always matter in Jesus' life and in the kingdom of God. Problems that seem too great are never insurmountable in the hands of Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. This is what we're invited to be a part of. 
It looks impossible. The crowd's too big and harassed and hungry. The disciples have given up everything and had nothing to offer. But in Jesus' hands, everything changes. There is enough. There's actually more than enough. It seems small and insignificant. But in Jesus' hands, you never know what might happen. Your brokenness, put it in Jesus' hands. Your pain, put it in Jesus' hands. Your finances, your addiction, your sickness, your family, your job, your church, put it all in Jesus' hands and see what might happen. Oftentimes we talk about things like this in the church, don't we? Put your life in the hands of Jesus. But sometimes I don't know if we really know what we mean exactly by that. What does that actually look like? How do I do that in my daily life? What does that mean I'm meant to do? Now our hands tell a story, remember? And so I wanna give you an illustration of something that I think helps us to know how to put our lives in Jesus' hands. It looks like this. One hand up and one hand out. We need to be people who stay connected to our Heavenly Father daily, hourly, staying connected to the one who is our source, who is our life. And we do this in ways that we've already talked about and you already know about, but we've got to continue to do it. Staying in the word, being in relationship in prayer, coming together to worship in corporate worship gatherings, receiving the sacraments, serving and giving, staying connected to our heavenly Father. We put a hand up toward our good and gracious God. We must live like this. Our hands need to tell this story. But that's not all it means to be Jesus' disciples because we are also supposed to be people who put our hand out to the world around us. If I feel troubled and you feel troubled by the big problems that we're always facing on a grand scale, on a personal scale, on an us scale, and we have Jesus, can you imagine how your neighbors who don't have Jesus are feeling right now? Completely lost, completely afraid, completely confused, unsure at all of what to do or how to live. And they need us to put a hand out to them. And can I encourage you, when we reach out to our communities, we must be very careful. Because sometimes we've come with a handout that's more like a bop upside the head than a handout in love. A handout in love looks like listening to what's really going on in people's lives. A handout in love means being a non-judgmental presence. The Holy Spirit does the work of judging and convicting. We introduce people to who God is. We don't need to judge them. They will experience the conviction that comes by the grace of God through the Spirit. So we reach our hand out. It doesn't mean we compromise our own standards, but it means we're gentle. We invite, we demonstrate a hand out to a hurting world. Now we need to be careful because we can't just be a hand, I'm a hand up person, that's who I am. Or I'm a hand out person, that's who I am. It's both. 
We must be connected to God and we must be connected to our neighbor. We must be connected to our neighbor and we must be connected to God. And the amazing thing for us is that as we draw close to God with a hand up toward him, we will naturally be led to put a hand out to our neighbor. That's the grace of God at work in us. And as we reach out to our neighbor, do you know what happens? We recognize the image of God in people. We recognize that God is at work in all places and at all times and in all ways in all people. And it gives us an ability to say, wow, oh, my hand out leads to my hand up and my hand up leads to my hand out. Now, some of us are really good at one or the other and that's wonderful. Some of us are naturally good at staying focused on the scriptures and being in a relationship with God of prayer. We are true worshipers in all we do. We are really good at having a hand up. If that's you, praise the Lord. But can you ask the Lord today to give you the grace to also grow in having a hand out? Because we need both. Love God, love neighbor. And by God's grace, he will answer that prayer. And some of us are really good at that handout. We just find ourselves in situations all the time where people come to us and, and ask for help and we love to serve and we're engaged in different ways in the community and in ministries in the church to those that, that don't know. And so we're very good at this handout of service. Praise the Lord if that's you. But ask God to give you the grace to stay connected to stay connected to him as the source that gives you the strength to continue to give because if you just keep giving without being connected to the source, you will burn out and you will dry up and it will not be something you're able to do anymore. We need both. My prayer is that your church will recognize that as you live in this way, you will also know you have enough in the hands of Jesus. It matters and it'll make a difference in the kingdom of God what you have right now, right here, if you put it in Jesus' hands. What we're really doing is putting what we have in the hands of Jesus who multiplies, right? He multiplies. Did you notice the verse that I skipped? Verse six. I started to read it and then I realized I was spoiling my sermon, so I stopped. Verse six, Jesus said this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do. What a beautiful promise. God knows what you have. God knows who you are. God knows what the problems you're facing are, what the needs of your neighbor are, what the needs of your church is, what the needs that you have before you. And what he wants you to do is to reach your hand up and reach your hand out, which is putting your life in the hands of Christ. And as you do, he already knows what he wants to do with your life and with my life. Can I tell you a few stories from my own family that might help to describe a little bit of what this means? That Ethan story I started with, the one with the tiny little hands, 
He's a naturally a handout kind of kid. Maybe you have one of these. Naturally reaches out wherever he goes for the underdog. Naturally just finds the kid in the class that's getting bullied and goes next to them. I would get reports from teachers from the time he was small that Ethan had adopted so-and-so and was taking care of this child with special needs or this kid who was getting treated in bad ways. He is naturally a handout kind of kid. This is one of the ways a handout life can look. And it's my responsibility and my husband's responsibility and the church's responsibility to help him to understand that this natural gifting that he has comes from a God who does the same thing. And so we work to help him to be a hand up kid as well. My mom didn't finish college. And some people would think that that meant there were limits on what she could do because sometimes that's the attitude we have about people that don't go to college, although it's not true, we know that. But she could have believed that those limitations were true of herself as well if she wasn't careful. But I grew up watching a mother who every day put her life in the hands of Jesus and seeing the way that Jesus would multiply her ministry and the life skills she had and the talents she had to be a blessing to everyone. A partner with my dad in ministry that looked more like co-pastoring even though she wasn't an ordained pastor. So her education level didn't stop her from being a kind of person that put her hand up and her hand out and modeled it for us and modeled it in the church. It doesn't matter if it seems like you don't have enough of something. In Jesus' hands, you are enough. My oldest son, Drew, had one of those ordinary jobs when he was in high school at a pizza place. And many of the people that worked there were older than him and many of them had criminal records and had struggled with addiction and were trying to iron out their lives. And this job definitely couldn't help them to make ends meet, but it was the best they had. And in that time, my son Drew realized that people needed dignity. He realized that he had had a lot of privilege in his own life and, and heard the stories of these others and so he wanted to put a hand out. But he'd recognized that as he'd had this relationship with Jesus Christ, it had changed him in such a way that it could be something he could offer to those that he was working with. And now as a junior in college, he still has interactions with some of those men that were struggling to make ends meet. A continued connection where he can be salt and light, a hand up that helps strengthen him and a hand out in service to these men. My dad read one of those Nazarene missionary books. You remember those? I think they still exist, don't they? Yeah, they do. But he read one of them about the country of Mozambique. And it ended by saying that if the gospel was to spread in the church in Mozambique, they needed a Bible college. And my dad was on a trip to, to go to Africa and he figured that it would be the only time he would ever get to go. It was a dream of his to experience it. And that book, it just really wouldn't let him go. That phrase at the end, they need a Bible college. And he came back to the district where he was pastoring a church. And they began something called the Mozambique Miracle. And through a bunch of churches on the district, time and again, people went and they built a whole Bible college. And you know what? One of our general superintendents right now, Dr. Philem Chambo, is from Mozambique. That's one of the fastest growing places in the Church of the Nazarene. 
What a wonderful thought, not just because of what my dad did, but because someone else had written a book, someone else had put forth a dream, a hand up to the vision of what God had, and others mobilized to make a difference, and we're seeing the fruit of that kind of living. And then my husband, who grew up in a home that didn't know Jesus at all, and got saved at a revival, saved at the kind of revival where after they got saved, they burned everything. Some of the things we wish, well, maybe you shouldn't have burned those. They're kind of collector's items now, but they were all in for Jesus. Quit smoking and drinking cold turkey. And my husband felt a call to ministry, but he didn't think that he was gonna be able to preach. Too scary. Scariest class he could ever take was homiletics. And even when we started pastoring together, I would preach more often than he would. I would preach two Sundays and he would preach one. I would preach two and he would preach one because he just didn't really view himself this way. He was not sure he was cut out to be a preacher, but because he was and is always putting himself in the hands of Jesus and living a hand up and a hand out kind of life, he's now pastoring one of the churches on our district because God has given him a gift that he has lived into and that he's continuing to model for those that he's ministering to. He's dedicated to the scriptures, dedicated to the church and dedicated to Christ and has a hand up and a hand out through this ministry. This is just my family. I'm sure if we went around the room, you could tell stories that now that you're thinking in this way, who are the people in my life that, that live like this? And how have I put things in Jesus' hands that seem too small and he multiplied them? And, and what might Jesus be saying to me now? I need this because he already wants to do something. He already knows what it is. If we're just willing to put what we have in his hands and to live a hand up and a hand out kind of light. I wonder... Will we be people who reach up to the God who loves us? And will we reach out to a world that needs us? And will we trust that when we are in the hands of Jesus, everything changes? And will we believe that Jesus already knows what he wants to do with the life you have right now? And so we will faithfully say, here I am. It's not much. It's like five loaves and two fish in the face of a crowd of 5,000, but here I am. Do with me as you will. And if we do, if we live in that way, if we surrender, if we put what we have in Jesus' hands, get ready. Because do you know what? Everything will change in the hands of Jesus. God, I ask that you would help us all, those that are here in this space and those that call themselves Christians all across the world would live hand up and hand out kind of lives, that our lives would tell the story that we love you, we're committed to you, we want to know you, we want to be in a relationship with you that fills us with the grace that we need to step each day in your ways. And would you empower us to be hand out kind of people that gently and lovingly reach out into the world that so desperately needs your hope, your grace, your forgiveness, your holiness. Help us to live in this way. And as we do, as we say, I'm here, Lord, take my whole life, would you multiply us for the sake of your kingdom? Would you make us like the five loaves and two fish? And would you feed the world with your grace 
through our surrendered lives, we pray. We want to see our neighbors come to know you. Help us to live in a way that they will come to see who you really are. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.